0: If you find yourself blaming something else or someone else for your failures, running your own business is probably not a good thing for you because you are, especially when you are the business, often those successes and the failures are both yours to be born equally.
1: That's the voice of Mark Peacock, owner of Deer River Craftsman, and I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Mark Peacock, owner of the North Wales-based furniture company Deer River Craftsman. Mark went all in on his dream of having a furniture company. He even built his own shop. But he also knew, getting into this business, that his dream wasn't always going to be a good dream. And to build a business, you need to be able to weather the good dreams and the nightmares in this industry. That's why, along with growing his furniture-making skills, he worked hard to develop his office skills at the same time, so he could learn from the mistakes he would inevitably make and be able to grow from them instead of them being the end of his road. Follow along as we talk about developing balance in your workday, learning what should go into your pricing model how not to get burned by your past mistakes, and much more. So let's jump into it, because there's no better way to learn about Mark's furniture journey than through his own words.
0: Well, I suppose in terms of my my journey of, of, of being involved in woodwork or being involved in making things, um, uh, my dad was a firefighter, but like many firefighters they have second jobs and he was a builder. Um, so I was on site from a very early age helping him, whether that be um, building extensions or fitting kitchens. Um, so uh, e- even as early as 12 years old back in the uh, um, uh, back in the early 90s, um, I-, I would have been um, uh, on site with him, um, earning my pocket money. I also had two uncles who were working in in trades that involved making things. So uh, one uncle was a a barge captain. He was a Thames sailing barge, um, which is a a traditional wooden boat. uh, And therefore, he had a number of boat building skills to make and maintain uh, the boats that he was involved. So I learned a lot of joinery skills um, from him. Uh, And my other uncle, who... Uh, lives in the um, Maritimes in Canada, um, has, uh, or used to have, wood stove business, making traditional um, wood stoves um, uh, for people's houses. So we were essentially a a fabrication shop. Um, um, I learned to weld with him when I lived with him for for just under a year. Um, And actually that was where I learned to a lot more of my joinery um, skills and where I did make my first bit of furniture. Um, I made an Adirondack chair or Muskoka chair as the Canadians call it, particularly in Ontario, out of some cedar um, that he had lying around. Um, so that that was officially my first bit of furniture at 15 years old, um, back in the early 90s. Um, and then from there, um, I kind of sort of developed into leaving college and school and going into corporate life. M- my hobby was was making things DIY uh, and that sort of merged into making furniture as my my wife and I had our first house Um, and it grew from making my own furniture um, to um, doing furniture for for family and friends Um, and then I I would say about seven years ago it turned into um, friends of friends asking me to do things Um, and then I decided at that point that um I was enjoying it that much, I wanted to start turning it into a business, but I knew there were a number of steps that I had to take before I could make it a business, including actually having a professional workshop um, uh, and, and also trying to get a portfolio of work that I felt comfortable giving to prospective clients. Um, so I built um, my workshop from the ground up on the site of an old barn that we have here on our property, um, uh, and, and that was the key lead into this being a, a more of a, a trade-based commercial workshop um, uh, outfit, as opposed to doing it on the side of, of other work.
1: That story that you have growing up being handy and building things and enjoying it and then going into corporate life and still having the, the dream of building furniture but not doing it full time or not doing it for a living, is a story that a lot of people know very well. I agree. But that dream of having your own company doesn't always manifest itself because making that switch is hard. Jumping from a corporate life where things are a little bit cleaner, a little bit more buttoned up and you're getting a paycheck from somebody else to working for yourself, to running a furniture business, which, is very very hard and comes with its own challenges so how did you decide to make that jump from one life that you were living to the other that you're
0: living now i would say i'm still in the progress of it ether because i I do actually run another business which works with corporate clients um, or, or, or smaller enterprises and so I'm still on my own personal journey, even though the furniture business has been going for years now. Um, but I still run another business at the, at the same time. I, I, I'm, I'm, I've got to that point where the furniture business takes more of my time than the other business. But the, the first steps for me were in, and especially leaving uh, a, a corporate life, is having the confidence that when you have a go at running your own business, whether it's successful or it fails, and there's nothing wrong with your business failing, as long as you've got the safety net there, or you built yourself a safety net to give yourself enough time. The the one thing I would never advise anybody to do, and I and I've, and I've said this to people when I, when they've asked me on Instagram is, don't take the jump if you've got responsibilities to to other people, particularly um, spouses or, or children or, or or other relatives. But but think what your what steps you have to take to have enough money for a period of time to then take that jump or think about how you have to change your life what you may have to give up to allow yourself to build the business while you're in a a full-time job Um, and think about transitioning that full-time job to a part-time job so you can make the safety net longer if you need to but it takes long-term planning and it will take sacrifice And and i've always told people that there's there's no easy answer to building your own business, even full-time, let alone when you're trying to do it um, alongside something else. If you feel like you haven't got the, the, the opportunity or you've got too many responsibilities, work out what it is that you need to get up to build this new life that you want for yourself. And the other thing I've really advised people is be clear with yourself, as you and I were discussing, that if this is the hobby that you love doing and you want to turn it into your job and your and, and your income it's not always about the the making of something when you're running your own furniture business it's not about being in the workshop i i personally spend probably only 60 percent of my time as far as business is concerned in the workshop the other 40 percent is in my office where i'm talking to you now i'm either doing design work or i'm doing um, um quotes or i am um doing some sort of Um, updates to my website or I'm doing some sort of um, update to my Instagram page or I am uploading a YouTube video or I am doing the thing that we all hate doing as business people, taxes um, and back office business admin and taking stock and making sure all my receipts are up to date. So I think the key thing for people to realize is think about your life as being half the stuff that you love and half the stuff that none of us love doing. Um, and hence why we all are accountants.
1: (laughs) You hit on a lot of important points there and I definitely want to dig into that. But I want to jump back to that first question and I gave you that lead in question about jumping from corporate to woodworking, knowing that you also had that safety net of another job that you were doing at the same time for yourself because that is also something that a lot of people do as well, where they get out of working for somebody else, but they also run two of their own businesses at the same time. That way they have that safety net. So how do you make that balance of knowing that you want to do the furniture full time, but you need to balance both of these jobs right now?
0: I'm quite a long-term planner. I, I'm, I'm one of those sad people that looks at things as five-year plans and 10-year plans. And I suppose that I, I, I had that concept of, of knowing when, when, when life gets easier for us all, when that big bill of owning our own house or property or, or flat is, is, is all ours and we're not owing some of it to the bank, as it were. Um, I know in five years' time that that's the position I'll be in. I won't have a mortgage anymore. I just have to pay the bills here. And I know that even if I made no improvements to my furniture business today, I would pay the bills and I'd have a decent lifestyle. That's the planning I think people need. I I think it's it's being clear to yourself and and being patient and knowing that, that you have that goal to work to. I think people are very eager sometimes, particularly if they dislike a corporate job or even the business they're running for themselves. It's a really, really... Um, enticing thing to to want to turn some uh, something that you love in into your into your sole focus, but patience is what I would say, and and planning it properly and, and being true to that safety net is important. And then you can really, in I think, really enjoy um, when it is your um, your full time gig. I work seven days a week, and I'm happy to work seven days a week. I probably would be happy to work seven days a week if it was the if it was the full time furniture um, business because. I'm, I'm someone who sort of sees that way of working and running your own business as a lifestyle choice as opposed to it being my job. It is a, I think it's an important thing, I'm a very sort of client centric or, 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 or very customer experience focused kind of person. And some of your clients will want to talk to you about stuff on a Sunday afternoon when you might be wanting to have dinner. Um, and if they want to talk to you on a Sunday afternoon, I'm going to talk to them on a Sunday afternoon. And um, because if your client is someone who does have a Monday, to Friday, sort of nine to five, they're building their their dream property or their dream piece of furniture, they're thinking about that the weekend. So you need to be there at the weekend to think about that with them. So that, that's a key thing. I'm not, I'm never switching off from doing that. And therefore you embed it as part of, as part of your lifestyle.
1: Never switching off and being very client focused a hundred percent of the time, seven days a week is Great for customer service. And I don't think any client would ever be offended if they see an email response from you two minutes after they sent an email on a Sunday. But you also have to watch out for yourself. And burnout is a real thing. The old saying, if you do something you love, you never work a day in your life, is is not really true because you can do something you love, but it is work. And like I said, you can burn yourself out. How do you fight back from that? How do you work seven days a week, not only your full-time furniture job, but also another job and have this great client customer satisfaction, but also don't burn yourself out?
0: You can work seven days a week, but you don't need to work every hour of those of those seven days. What my wife and I do and what I certainly do is we make sure we have the time to do the things that we that we love doing together, um, whether that be walking and hiking, and we live where we live in North Wales, um, because it is some of the best hiking um, um, and sort of uh, landscape scenery you'll see in the UK. Um, so every day you will find us out with a dog uh somewhere in, a, in our local area and we we give ourselves at least a couple of days a week and we try and focus that to, to to weekends as well um to to make sure we get those longer hikes in um and for me or for both of us being in and around nature is um is is our wellness is our well-being um and 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 to your point around wellness, I make sure every day that I get up, I spend at least 45 minutes having breakfast, spending time on 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 reading or watching, uh, watching the sports I love, whether they be highlights or live at that particular point in time, and doing stuff for myself. And I, if I give myself that 45 minutes every morning, knowing what my schedule looks like for the day, I'm set up for the day. Um, if I know when we're going to go for a for, for a long walk, I'm, that's in my schedule. If I know that we're going to go and visit family and friends, it's in my schedule. Um, and I know that sounds like a bit of a a bit of a thing of uh, you, you're fitting life into a schedule. But if you see all of your life as of that schedule, you'll give yourself that free time. You'll give yourself the ability to decompress from to exactly as you say, what is work? However much you love it, it's still work. So I think there are key elements that you always need to give yourself um, because I've made that mistake as a, as, as a, as a young guy um, where I worked seven days a week, many, many, many hours a day. And I, I got to that point of exhaustion. I got to that point of, uh, of, of, of needing to be picked up off of a bathroom floor because I'd literally collapsed in, in sheer exhaustion. And, and you need to learn from those things. You'll, you'll, you'll only ever get to that point in your life once and you'll realize how much of an impact it has on you. So I couldn't agree with you more.
1: Because you have your own company and you make your own hours and you do your own work. And sometimes you forget that you don't have a schedule that is set and you forget to take care of yourself sometimes. And yourself being the main engine, the main driving force of your business. Because if you go down, it doesn't matter how great your tools are. If you go down, the business is going to suffer. So you always have to remember that.
0: And in my business model, if I go down, there is no business. There's nobody else that I'm handing anything off to. Um, it, it's it's a really interesting debate that I have with myself. And I've listened to a number of your former episodes and listening to people who have obviously had that same debate as well, that particularly if they've come from, from that corporate background and worked with, with other people, some people may be trying to get into this gig because they don't really want to work around people in teams anymore. They want to rely on themselves. But the key thing for us all to remember is, if you lie, rely on yourself, you've lost the safety net for your for your own business. Um, um, in in that sense, but uh, no, and, and that's where it's so important to look after yourself from a safety point of view in the workshop and from a well being point of view. Because if you go down with with stress um, or you um, go down with an injury, you, you that's a downtime in your business. Um, and again. From a, from a being fit point of view, I've had one bad one one bad back injury in the last few years, and that 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 knocked me out for a week. And uh, thankfully, I was a uh, I, w- I was able to discuss with a whole bunch of clients an extension to to the, to the deadlines and the and, and the targets we'd set for delivery, and uh, they were all happy knowing that, that I was communicating with them, and I was uh, I was. Um, keeping them up, up to date with things and they they were almost hey if you've got a bad back you should be looking after yourself and we'll, we'll wait for that table we'll wait for those um, those sideboards for for another week you take the time and I think it's hopefully it's a the way of running your business and having really transparent and open dialogue with your clients around how you're getting on with stuff that allows you to do that and I think that approach also stops you becoming stressed I think if you if you heap too much pressure on yourself to hit certain deadlines. And sometimes in this industry, we, and especially when you're doing it for the first time, you put too much pressure on yourself to hit certain deadlines. We almost think that they're deadlines, the client has set us until we suddenly realize it was us offering a target delivery date, because that was part of our customer service deal. And when you actually talk to your client and say, Hey, um, I feel like I'm not making as much progress with this as, as quickly as I wanted to. And I want it to be as high quality as it can. Therefore, I don't want to rush it. Are you comfortable? This comes comes in another week's time. And I would pretty much say that um, 99% of the time, my clients go 100%, you take the time you need to make that piece great. We've seen it on uh, the progress on Instagram um, and it looks great. We want to make we, we want to make sure it's exactly as we wanted it to. You take the time. You can take the pressure off yourself by really communicating and not worrying about what your client's going to say. And I certainly suffered in the early days of, of first doing, it, first making commission-based furniture of I've got to hit the deadline. That I promised the client at the beginning, I've got to hit that deadline. And it, and it took me some time to build up that confidence, which strangely enough, in my corporate world, I was always confident about asking for an extension to a deadline. And I suppose it was perhaps because I was less invested in what those deadlines were. And, and I think if you become really invested in what the deadlines are, because it's all about you, if, if you're the only one in your business, um, you put more pressure on yourself. And the advice I've given a lot of people who deal with that is you'd be surprised how understanding many of your clients would be um, if, if you just keep that open dialogue.
1: Everything you just said is so true. People get so caught up in a deadline and they forget that they're the ones who set that deadline. Yes, there are situations where a client needs something at a certain date and you're rushing to do it, but even in that situation, you've agreed to that deadline. You are the master of your own destiny and you need to understand the way you work, you need to understand your shop, you need to understand what is on the board for projects that are coming up, and you need to be able to make those deadlines and those timelines and that schedule into something that works for you. And everything you said was just spot on because people forget when you're in the shop and you're working, and it's just you and the piece of furniture, or you and your team, and you've just been conversing with a client over email, and you're stressing, oh, I don't know if they'll be okay with it. I don't want to disappoint. I don't. And you're just thinking about it in a vacuum. And you forget that the person on the other end of that email is also a person with their own life going on and they usually understand if you have that transparency with them. If you start from the initial conversation, being open and having a dialogue with them, they understand if you need more time to make the piece better. Nobody wants a piece on a promised time that's only half done. They want it to be
0: good in the end. I agree uh, to- totally. And and, and especially in, in the game of commission-based furniture, it's often the clients i'm working with they've come to me because they want something that is bespoke that they couldn't have got on the high street or it fits into a particular part of their of of their home um a lot of the stuff i've done this year is is built-in work for people with brand new homes um and on certain occasions i've I've asked for a i say can I, can we extend and look for a different install day and they almost come back to me and go oh i'm really happy you said that because we're not ready for you <laughs> so it's um uh, you, you, you'll often find that uh, and, and and that's the other side of things sometimes and as someone who is very schedule focused occasionally I get a client that will say any chance you could delay this uh, because we're not quite ready for you and you've you've got to find ways and to, to to adapt that schedule to to meet that kind of customer service deadline or don't be afraid to Um, to to work with them that says do you know what I've got this landing zone for you and I've got some other important stuff coming up any chance I can get you I can do the delivery of Of certain pieces that are gonna go to this 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 build and I'll get it covered up and that way I know I've done a partial install and I've and I've covered it up and therefore you can continue the work that you need to in that particular room. And then I'll come back when I've got that slot ready for you again and and finish it off. And and again, sometimes like, oh, that'd be great if you could work around us. Um that 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 that'll be amazing. And and that way you you're offering that that flexibility, but you're not breaking your own your own schedule, especially if you've got Work queued up. Got your board with your, uh, with your, with with, with your, uh, your next six orders up on the up on the chalkboard, waiting to be uh, taken down and and started work upon. So,
1: <laughs> let's talk about your customer service. We've been we've been dancing around it, but let's let's get into it. Let's talk about when a client reaches out to you. What does that process look like for you from that from that first? interaction
0: all the way up to the end? Sure. This is something I'm really passionate about is um, the style of my business, the style of work that I want to be doing, um, especially right now um, is, is all about um, delivering something that the client is passionate about and and wants to invest in, and they want it to be uh, of high quality. And I kind of want it to be an experience for them. So um i i will uh, if, if they reach out initially i'll set up a uh, a consultation um initially usually over um over a zoom or um or a call we'll talk about the kind of things that they're looking at and then in most cases even if it's freestanding furniture versus built-in work i'll do a home visit because particularly when they're not exactly sure of even the style of furniture they want or the the colors or the um or the finished amount one i'm really happy to, to to spend some time with them in their property which was much harder during the um, pandemic um and, and and almost do a bit of an interior design bit with them um and we'll do do the do the consultation there and and i find that's something that 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 people find really valuable particularly those who haven't got a great idea of of exactly what they're looking for they know they might want a dining table they know what they might want a media unit and they may have seen some pictures on um, on the internet from Google searches or Pinterest, but none of it really fits in perhaps with, with the style of property they have or even their own sort of wants and, and, and needs. And so I, I kind of really like that process of working with them and making them feel a big part of the design process. Even though I'll be the one that goes away and, 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 and gets into some software and does some some initial sketches, and then puts more refined sketches until we get to more detailed measurements. Before I produce the, the quote, and before I produce uh, the, the the finished design, and we we agree a, a, a sort of a target timescale for for the delivery. Um, and I tell them that uh, one of the things I ask is, do you mind your piece being being featured on my Instagram? And occasionally, I'll even ask if it's a project that really. Um, uh, that I think would go down well on my YouTube channel um, is, do you mind that being featured? And and I would pretty much say 99 times out of 100, uh, they're really happy for, for both of those things. A lot of the clients I work with are really interested in seeing the progress of their, of their piece being built uh, and, and seeing what goes into it. And sure, I still get people that say, I need exactly this. Can you do exactly this? And what I will often ask is, why have you come to me? Um, if if you know exactly what you want um, and they'll say because I want it six inches longer rather than what we can buy out of the out of the furniture store I'm like okay I'm comfortable to do it but I'd even be happy in some cases particularly if I was very busy at the time to advise some of other people that would be um, that would perhaps be right for them because I'd, I'd be quite honest to say they, they may be able to do it um, quicker and perhaps even cheaper than I would do because I've, I try and give myself a, a, a different niche um, sometimes. But I'm really happy to do, do the work for that type of client as well. But I'm just very honest about what I see my, my skill set doing and being honest about what else is available out there for them. And again, I find that the clients are drawn to, towards you more um, because you're demonstrating a great amount of transparency and honesty in that process
1: not to make it all about dollars and cents, but when does the clock start for you when you're dealing with a client? Because yes, I agree that going to somebody's home and learning more about them and their space definitely adds to the experience and adds to the piece that you're gonna build for them and the design that you're gonna make for them, but that takes time and time, is money and time takes time out of your bottom line when you could be working on other stuff. So, when does the clock actually start
0: for you billing a client? I've kind of learned, and this is um, unfortunately there's no hard and fast rules I could I can I could give people in this, but I've, I've I've kind of built enough experience that after that first initial telephone conversation or after even a couple of messages to and from on on dms on instagram i've got the feeling of how serious somebody is um of, of what they're trying to achieve and it's often about listening to what their project is and and listening to how they're talking about their project i won't do the do the home visit unless i've had that telephone conversation or i've got a sense of what their project is and how they feel about their particular project before i go and do that of course i've i've gone to go and do those home visits and spend let's say 3 to 4 hours of 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 the business's time to to get to 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 win and and get to the point of quoting but i'm i've usually got a good idea of of within the telephone conversation about what a client's looking for what the kind of materials we're going to use and i'm already in the place of saying this is my ballpark estimate plus or minus 25%, um, depending on on what I'm going to be able to do to source some of these materials. And if that's too expensive, straight off the bat, we can, we can call it quits at that point with no hard feelings, and they can move on and I can move on to the to to the next inquiry. But I feel like taking that approach and and not being scared to say, hey, it's, it's this and it will probably, it could very easily be 25% more than that. Once I've got into the detail of sourcing stuff, I think sometimes when people are first doing this, they think that if they lose that business, um, that nothing else is going to come around the corner, and they'll take a lot of business initially with a view to to building a portfolio. And I think that has merit. I, I really do. I think if you if you invest at the very beginning in doing that, um, uh, and you're not potentially making as much margin, that that you've got to see that as a sense of investing in yourself, investing in your business to build a portfolio. But if you have got to the point where you are giving time away, and it's all about opportunity cost. Um, uh, when you do, when you do that, you're taking time away from something that could make you more money, and, and you're taking time time away from how you could advance your business. You mustn't undercut yourself or your time to do that. And I have walked away from a lot of a lot of stuff this year, knowing that I, I could feel myself. Um, spending more time to try and win the business than, than I would actually end up uh, making in terms of in terms of the overall margin and th- then there's absolutely nothing wrong with with losing the business if it's not the business where you're going to to meet the demands of, of what you need to to make your profit or, or, or to make your living from, from doing that. Um, you're often sometimes better off taking that time and investing it into making yourself more efficient then you are just taking that piece of work. So that is, I find the trickiest balancing thing for those people starting out is knowing when to walk away um, and knowing when to put a bit more extra effort into winning that business.
1: It is, it is a tricky balance because the only way to know when a job isn't going well or your time can be spent better doing something else is with experience. And when you're starting out, you don't have that experience. So you do have to make those mistakes. As much as I put out this show so people don't fall into the same traps that the people I'm talking to are explaining, I also get that you can hear something a thousand times, but until you experience it, you're not going to understand it. People can tell you that stove is hot, but until you put your finger in it, and burn yourself you don't realize that you shouldn't do that again so it's okay to make mistakes when you're starting out it's okay to take bad jobs and to have bad clients and to have bad experiences because it's better to learn it when you're starting out and you don't have all the responsibilities of a business and you don't have Giant projects and learning it on a smaller thing is a lot better than learning it when you have a fifty thousand, sixty thousand dollar project that you need to turn around
0: and you realize that you get burned on it. I agree, and 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 even when you, I think even that acceptance of being happy to make mistakes, even when you're experienced, um, is, is is equally you need to give yourself that grace. You need to give yourself that wiggle room. Um, because I can't think of a week, Ethan, in in, in the last year that I haven't made a mistake. So (laughs) it's important. Exactly.
1: It's what builds character. It's what builds your ability to run a business because you learn what not to do and you learn not to do that again.
0: Yeah, and I think it's one of those things that in the shop, um, it, it actually, you could use as a metaphor for your own business. How many times have we all made a mistake cutting a piece of joinery and we think rather than starting again, we'll refine that, we'll find that. I'll be able to sand that out. I'll be able, to, uh, I'll be able to, to, to pick up for that later on. Rather than knowing that actually the right thing to do is scrap that piece, do it again. And go from there. How much that there's a metaphor for your business there sometimes that you either make a mistake or you're going too far down something within your business and then go, now is the right time not to try and 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 make this better. Now is the right time to go, that was a mistake. Walk away from that, start again. That is 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 something that is true in the office, and um, doing your business activity as much as it is in the workshop.
1: Completely agree with that. Now, something that I know a lot of people have made mistakes with is pricing because it is the hardest part of having the business. It is the the blending point of the actual building it and the actual business part of it. And that is where people find the most trouble. So with you, with your experience with your pieces, wanting to deliver that customer service, wanting to deliver that high-end piece that is going to be the perfect piece for your client. How do you fit pricing into that? And how has your pricing evolved from when you started out to now?
0: I think when I initially started out, and again I reiterate, you, you've got to invest in yourself when you're doing that. I wasn't charging for all the time where I was winning the business. I wasn't, I wasn't even factoring in the design time, even at the detailed time. When I was, I was only ever thinking about the hours and days it took to actually build the piece. Um, and at the very when I was starting out, I wasn't even factoring in the boxing it up and getting it ready for the delivery day um, and then getting it into the client's house. If it was a, a bigger piece and you had to sit there and think about getting it through people's doors and where you'd have to park um, when you come to delivery day. I was only ever factoring into the prices, my time to actually build it, my time to actually drive the vehicle to there. To their property, um, and then the costs of uh, cost of materials, and then maybe a bit of margin. Um, Today, I factor in all of those, um, uh, all of the consultations post that initial call. I factor in all of my design time. Um, I factor in all of the back and two when we're making decisions on on materials or hardware with the client. Um, I factor in my time of sourcing specialist materials. I think that's another area that people forget. You can spend half a day trying to find the right slab to go on a dining table. You can spend um, half a day going to see the specialist provider um, up in the Welsh hills to go and get that slab and negotiate a price. You've got to factor that in. Uh, and and that's why when I quote, I tend to quote with, this is, this is the target price. I'm asking for often a 10% leeway on that price depending on when i've actually got the material sourced most of my clients are really happy with that level of transparency um, and when i get that specialist piece sourced then i'll show them the receipt for, for how much it cost me to get that and they'll know that it's been factored fairly into to the price we're working on and then you've got to factor in your time to of course make the piece and i think people are generally factor that in but what I've found is a lot of people when they're when they're pricing time, forget that it often takes them at least half a day, if not a full day to package up, get it into the into the van or on the back of a truck, uh, get it to the property and then forget to factor in and it might take you two hours to get it through a client's front door and get it in the spot they want it. You've got to factor all of that time in. And you, I learned that the hard way. Um, and actually knowing how long those things takes has to come with experience you'll only make certain mistakes that um, when you come to deliver a piece on the fifth floor that you completely didn't realize whether they had a freight elevator and stuff like that. Or if you're delivering it to someone who hasn't got a driveway and you've got to park on a busy main road and work out how you're going to get out the back of a truck where with, with cars flying past you, all of these things you you only learn by our experience. So remember all of the steps it takes you um, from, from front to back and make sure they're priced in.
1: There's so many mental and physical add-ons to just building furniture. And yes, it you do learn them from experience. And you do remember after many years doing this to always ask the client in, in the initial conversation, where's this piece going? Yeah. So <laughs> and, yeah. and 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 if there is an elevator, if there is uh, ample parking, if there is all of those things, because I don't know how many horror stories I've heard from people where they built this beautiful piece and then they had to cut it in half in the hallway to
0: fit it in. <laughs> it's well, it's it's not pretty, it's not pretty. Well, take someone's window out. I've seen that happen before as well. It, it, <laughs> Exactly.
1: And and we joke around about it, but it it cuts into your bottom line. If you can't get it in the door and you have to hoist it up through a window or through the outside, then that costs money and that costs a lot of money. And you could end up eating all your profit and then some with a simple mistake like that. Just not asking for measurements of the building of the space when you need to get in there, so that yeah. that it's funny until it happens to you, and then yeah. it's just <laughs> like it's just like the fire thing—you stick your finger in and you've got burned, and you remember that, and you do not let that go. Yeah, totally. As somebody who has had these experiences, and as somebody who has run their business and learned from past mistakes and past triumphs. What are some things that you could share with people listening right now who are deciding to start that business that they've dreamed about for a long time? They work in the corporate world like you did. They have their own business like you have, but they want to make that jump into full-time furniture making. Or there's people who have been doing this for a long time and who have had these similar experiences and can be laughing along with us and, and remembering times that they had those same issues pop up. But even though they've had those experiences, they still feel like they're not getting everything out of their company that they want. What's some advice that you can offer to people listening that you've experienced and, and you could share with everybody listening?
0: I think that there's two sides to, to it. And I think one is really hold yourself accountable for everything that goes right and everything that goes wrong in your business. Be, be, the, be the person that you give yourself true accountability. And what I mean by that is If you find yourself blaming something else or someone else for your failures, running your own business is probably not a good thing for you because you are, especially when you are the business, often those successes and the failures are both yours to be born equally. At the same time, enter into a spirit of community and asking for help. Um, I... I got into social media very late because I was the kind of person that said, I'm not really into social media, right? I did it because I was thoroughly encouraged to do it because it was um, something of that could be used as a marketing tool. And I found that not only did it become a marketing tool, it became a sense of of real help and real source of um like not companionship, but a real source of like-minded people who are so willing to help each other and that will only help you in your business. I have developed something I would regard as strong relationships and friendships with people, some of whom I have never met face-to-face via that social media platform, particularly Instagram. Uh, And in, in that space, you will get advice, encouragement, honesty, um, both from a business sense as well as from a, from, a, from a making something sense. And I think that that is something that, that people should really tap into when they're trying to make that, that, that jump, is feel, feel free to ask people who are more experienced than you questions. And remember that sometimes they won't want to give you a straight answer because sometimes they see it as part of the, um, what makes their business unique. Um, and, and therefore, know that not to not to push the envelope, but, but not equally to feel too too hurt by someone who doesn't want really to give you advice. But my general experience of of this wider community, which is global, is they are willing to help, and they are willing to to answer your questions. And and I kind of enter, enter into that, that 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 same spirit. So I might spend some time asking, answering people's questions on DMs about how they should do something in their business or how they should make a certain piece or what materials that I would advise them to use because I know that at some stage I'm going to send a DM to someone I know that's doing something absolutely fabulous right now and go hey um how did you do that uh, what, what material did you use for that or what which, which 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 tool manufacturer are you using for that and they'll gladly give me that time so I, I see that as that that giving as something that I know that I will take back one day uh, in that wider community.
1: You hear it all the time, that building a community and having people to talk to about this, knowing that you're not alone, you're not an island, you are having the same experiences that so many people out there are having. And because we have this, this sometimes frustrating, but sometimes amazing ability to go on social media, to have connections to everybody in the world. Like you said, without having to have a face-to-face conversation with somebody, you can still learn from them. And that is an amazing resource and something that people should always take advantage of. And Mark, thank you for adding to that community. Thank you for being a contributing member of it. And thank you for sharing your knowledge and your skills and your and your journey with everybody listening today. I really do appreciate it and wish you continued success in your business. And I know you are somebody who plans ahead 5, 10, 20 years, and I hope that pays off for you.
0: Thanks so much, Ethan. I um, uh, really appreciate the, the, the time and the invite to come on. That's um, a uh... I I could say the same things right back at you, my friend.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Check out woodpanoralife.com for more information.